Welcome to the Joplin and Andrea podcast show where we discuss all things faith, family, and fun. I'm Joplin, here with my wife and lovely co-host, Andrea. Welcome to the show. Welcome, guys. We have a special show lined up for you guys today. My Grinch costume is shaping up really well. Pretty excited about that. And at the end, you're actually even going to see a sneak peek. So Sneak peek of the Grinch costume. That's right. We're pretty pumped. Um, our lineup for today is pretty awesome. One, I already have a booking for my first um, event. In Two, your Grinch costume. In my Grinch costume. Yeah. Two, um, first world problems with no fitting rooms during COVID time. Oh, that's a big one. What it, a bummer. It is a big one. And second, our first we're going to kick off with, we will be tackling the huge topic of living together before marriage. Um, this is a huge topic, very, very important. And quite honestly, I can say I'm glad that I'm not the one that's actually going to be sitting in the hot seat today. You are answering the questions. Um, but we have a big question today. So let's get started with our question. Here's the question, dear Joplin and Andrea, earlier this week we were discussing things with our teens around the dinner table and the topic of living together without being married was brought up. A Christian friend of my daughter's asked her this question, which my daughter asked me about. Her friend is wanting to live with her boyfriend before marriage and ask if there was a specific verse in the Bible that tells us this is wrong because she has looked and she can't find one. She's using the lack of a specific verse that calls out sex before marriage and living together as a sin. I believe this is wrong, but wasn't sure exactly how to answer. Please help. All right. Um, yeah. What a great, important question. Uh, is there any Bible that deals with this and not being able to find any specific verses? Yeah. Yes, there's actually a lot of them. First uh, Corinthians six nine, Genesis two twenty four, Matthew nineteen four through five, Ephesians five three through five, First Corinthians six eighteen, Galatians five sixteen through seventeen, Second Corinthians two eleven, Proverbs twenty eight twenty six, and uh, that's just a few. I'm, I'm actually going to reference those on the back half of what I'd like to share um, because this is. This is a um, bigger issue than just what does the Bible say, and um, there. This is such a prevalent thing that's happening mm -hmm. more and more uh, frequent in our society that um, probably the likelihood that anybody is listening who has not been impacted by somebody very close to them that is um, either. Maybe it's one of our listeners, um, or family, or extended family, somebody that that this is happening with. In fact, uh, among adults ages 18 to 44, 59 percent have lived with an unmarried partner at some point in their lives, while only 50 percent have ever been married. Wow! And so we are moving to a time where more people uh -huh. are choosing to live together and not be married than the other way around. Furthermore, 69% of Americans say that cohabitation, this living together outside of marriage, 69% of Americans say that it's totally acceptable, um, even if the couple has no plans of getting married. Another 16% on top of that 69%, another 16% say it is acceptable only if the plan 
the couples plan to get married. In this country right now, there's only 14% that say it's not acceptable for unmarried people to live together. Well, 14%. Yeah. And so we start this session off with me knowing I'm in that 14%. And 86% of the people that, um, on average, in this country that would be listening to what I'm about to say um, right now already feel like they disagree with me. And I just want to encourage you to take the time to hear me out today because um, there's a lot of practical reasons that this is a bad idea. You're going to find that this podcast is not going to be simply, thus says the Lord, don't do it. There's a reason that God tells us the things God tells us. And I want to talk about just the rationale behind why this is a bad idea. I think um, that it's a bad idea, you know, to, for, for practically, I think it's a bad idea emotionally. I think it's a bad idea spiritually. Mm -hmm. And our culture is saying, well, you should practice, right? You should practice before marriage. Make sure that it works. Make sure you're compatible. But here's the facts. The facts, the statistics are in, and they show us that people who live together before getting married, get divorced at a higher rate. So whatever practice is supposed to be helping them improve upon, it's not working. So the question is, why? Why doesn't it work? And I want to share some practical, um, emotional or psychological and spiritual reasons for that today. Yeah, with you saying all that, I was just going to say kudos to the girl who asked this because with our society the way that it is, it's awesome that she's seeking out for herself yes, the right answer. Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's get started with practical. So um, you said there's several practical reasons this is a bad idea. Let's get started. Um, what are the practical, practical, practical reasons behind? Well, the first one, practical reason that it's a bad idea is because there's no true commitment. You know, marriage is a commitment, right? Mm -hmm. You yeah. can't practice committing to something by half committing to it. It's an, yeah. It just doesn't work. You either commit or you don't. There is no halfway point. You know, marriage is marriage because of the eternal promise that you make to your, your spouse. Mere cohabitation is mere cohabitation precisely because you've declined to make that promise. And so there's no real commitment on the front end of truly giving your life to another and the other doing the same for you. And so you're entering into this kind of mutually exclusive relationship where we're sort of committed, but not committed enough to actually want to marry each other, only committed enough, whatever that might mean, to be half committed. And so it's not enough to simply say that it's different than marriage. It's actually the opposite of marriage. When people are willing to go into this, let's live together and not actually truly commit to one another, it's a bad idea. In this scenario where there, the, the lack of commitment is happening, you really do live as two divided people in the same home for an undetermined amount of time. For as long as it remains convenient until either one or both of you decides it's time to leave. This is not practice for marriage. This is practice for divorce. 
it is a bad idea and half of a commitment is no commitment at all. We aren't committed to each other in that scenario. We're committed to something. Um, we're committed to, you know, uh, we're committed to paying the bills together. We're committed to doing certain things together, but we're not actually committed to each other if we're not willing to move forward with marriage. And so now you end up entering into a relationship where you're not committed to one another, you're committed to things together. And that sets you up for a disaster. Uh, Really a, a second practical problem. Um, all right. So the second problem you say is, um, living together before marriage can become a trap. What do yes. you mean by that? Let's experience, explain your thought. All right. So what I mean by that is, you know, I just finished that by saying we're not committed to each other, but we're committed to something. Well, if you get into a living relationship with somebody and you need their income to pay the bills. They need your income to pay the bills. There are certain um, benefits that were meant to be reserved for the marriage, for a true home. But now yeah. you need just these things. It's not the other person. It's what the other person offers, what the other person brings to the table that mm-hmm. you need to survive. And you can be trapped in a bad relationship that way because it becomes hard to split up. You know, have you ever heard... Anybody in a similar scenario say they want to leave, but it's complicated. Well, it isn't complicated or it shouldn't be. You know, she isn't your wife. He's not your husband. You aren't committed to her. You aren't committed to him. Complicated. Why don't you just leave? Well, we live together and half of my stuff is there and half of it's his is there and we both shared the money, you know, in the couch and who gets this and who gets, and now it's a complicated situation where you can't exit easily when needed because you are tied up and it simply shouldn't be this way. This is one of the practical reasons that living together outside of marriage is just a bad idea. Honestly, how many people today that are in a a similar relationship either are now or in times past have wished they could have got out, but they just didn't. And so they kind of settled for a relationship where something wasn't right. They knew it didn't feel good, Mm -hmm. but it was like, you know what? This is the, I'm stuck here. And it's easier to stay in this bad relationship than to exit. This is our home. We're not really married. I'm not committed to him or I, you know, I'm not committed to her but it's too difficult to get out. And so many people end up trapped because they entered a relationship that uh, living with somebody and never actually took that true step of marriage. And it's just a bad idea, bad idea. Yeah, Um, next, so a lot of people think that living with someone will help them get to know somebody better before the commitment. How come this isn't actually a good idea? Well, um, I, this is probably the only word you're going to hear me use, only time you're going to hear me use this word during anything today, but that's just a really stupid argument that you need to live with somebody to get to know them well enough to find out if you want to live your life with them. Yeah. It's stupid for a couple reasons. Number one, 
what are you really going to find out when you live with somebody um, in close quarters? Uh, the answer is you're going to find out kind of the things that annoy you about a person. Mm-hmm. And here's the truth. Newsflash. Don't matter who you end up spending your life with, there's going to be things that are annoying. And these are not the things we do or don't choose to marry somebody over. You know, here's what we ought to be asking ourselves when we're looking at who do we want to spend the rest of our life with? Are they faithful? Are they honest? Do they have a good heart? Yeah. Um, are they virtuous? Do they love God? Do they keep their promises? You know, do we have the same fundamental beliefs and goals and priorities in life? Those are the things that matter. And you don't need to live with somebody to figure those things out. I would argue if you've been with somebody, dating somebody for three to six months, and you can't tell if they're faithful, honest, virtuous, keep their promises, they probably don't. And it's time to start looking somewhere else. But we absolutely do not need to live in the same home with a person and shack up together, for lack of a better word, in order to find out if they're the type of person that we would want to marry. It's just, it's a bad excuse. Yeah. Um, Your final practical argument is that it just doesn't work. So how can you say this with certainty? Yeah, so research indicates that it doesn't work. Um, Research has shown us that couples that live together before marriage have a 50% higher divorce rate than those who don't. Let that sink in. It's almost twice as much that people end up getting divorced, 50% more, that live together first. And so it's like if you want your marriage to fall apart and you want to put yourself in a situation where you're at the highest risk for divorce within the first five years, then try living together first. This is what the statistics tell us. Our grandparents did not do this. This is a relatively new thing that's crept into the human culture in the last 40, 50 years. But our grandparents and great-grandparents, they did not do this, and most of them were married for 65 or more years before they died. These days, with uh, this living together before marriage being so frequent, I think it's something like six to seven years is the average length of a marriage. So if it's like 10% the length of what it used to be, I'm just saying the statistics show us it doesn't work. It's a bad idea. We have got it almost completely wrong in this idea of of what so many are doing. And like I said, is the multitude, even 86% of Americans see really no problem or very little problem at all with people living together before marriage. But the evidence is it doesn't work. It doesn't make relationships better. And so practically, I think those are some strong practical reasons. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. All right. Well, those are some very strong points to consider. Very, very practical. Um, But I know um, that you also believe that there's stronger arguments for living together that are for emotional reasons and psychological reasons. So let's talk about some of those. Um, You'd say you'd go as far as to say that it can be emotionally and psychologically psychologically, um, harmful. So why do you say that? 
Um, well, again, it, it the the research shows that, um, and it really does. So, um, statistically, from a psychological point of view, the research says that it can be harmful. But I want to talk about some of the reasons why. So, why is that? Why do I think yes. it's a bad idea? Why does research say it's a bad idea? So, the lack of communicate, or excuse me, the lack of commitment. It communicates a really harmful message. It's kind of subconscious. And you know what? If somebody out there is listening and you're right in the process of moving in with somebody, you're thinking, this is a load of garbage. And the fact is that I, you know, the, the willingness to even take this next step shows that we're committed to each other. But subconsciously, there's this thing that's always in the back of your mind mm-hmm. that this might not work. I've got an exit strategy. My partner is not committed enough to me to want to take the step of marriage. And so really, we start this relationship with the idea that one of us might hit the eject button. And while that's never said out loud, it's never like, hey, let's not get married in case one of us wants to hit the eject button. Instead, let's just move in together and give it a try. Those words are not what is said, but subconsciously, that's what's happening. And there is this constant... um, acknowledgement deep inside that this isn't a real commitment. This is kind of a fake commitment or no commitment at all. And it sends this harmful message. Next, couples that start off that way with this mindset that we don't have to be fully committed to each other. How do you think you're going to flip the switch and ever change? If you were willing to enter that relationship that way, where we're going to get serious enough, we're going to move in, but we're not going to be married and we're we're not going to wait for that. If you're not going to do that, how do you think you're going to flip the switch when it comes time to get married? You think standing on the stage and saying I do somehow changes the way that things, you know, the way that your relationship has been. And so emotionally and psychologically, what happens is you start a relationship a certain way and it's not right. And then you just wait until you feel like everything fits perfect and it's you're going to go ahead and get married because it's the next step to do. And you find out it didn't change anything. You find out there's still this longing, nagging feeling that maybe they're going to leave. And maybe we're not really committed to each other because that's how we started. Uh, we started with the concept that we can sort of be together without truly being committed to each other. And it takes an emotional, psychological toll. A couple of, um, I want to read quickly a couple of things that, that are important. Um, just statistics. If cohabitating couples get pregnant, there's a high probability that the man will leave the relationship within two years, resulting in a single mom raising a fatherless child. This, these are just truths, statistically speaking. The man typically sees the relationship as less serious than the woman does. And uh, each partner's parents and extended family are not real sure what the nature of the relationship is. These are things that are happening emotionally and psychologically that we often don't think about. I want to give you an example of what that might look like. So if a man and a woman get married, the likelihood that, you know, let's say that the, the, the woman's dad owns a business. The likelihood that he might try to extend a job to his son-in-law, his daughter's husband, 
if he's able, you know, if he owns his business, has the spot open, that's a high probability. But what about him extending that same job to the boyfriend she's living with? Does it ever happen? Probably sometimes. But my point is, is that the, the relationship is ambiguous. Nobody really knows the contents of and confines of how serious are they? Are they going to get married someday? Are they going to split? Why are they together? And it's confusing, uh, not only to the people in the relationship, but to family and extended friends. So um, research shows that this living together, it leads to emotional problems. It's just a reality. It shows that um, cohabitation, it leads to a greater likelihood of domestic violence, unhappiness, um, people that cohabitate report lower levels of satisfaction in the relationship than married couples do. Um, statistically, women are more likely to be abused in a cohabitate with a cohabitating boyfriend than they are by a husband. Uh, children are more likely to be abused by their mother's boyfriends than by her husband. Um, even if, listen to this, even if the boyfriend is their biological father. If a cohabitating couple ultimately marries, say they end up getting married one day, they still tend to report lower levels of marital satisfaction and they show a much higher propensity for divorce. So emotionally, psychologically, something is going on here and I'm sounding the alarm because nobody else is, but these things are happening. And it's like so many people are throwing their hands up and saying, we don't know why everybody's getting divorced. We don't know why there's so many broken homes. Big part of the reason we're not doing things the right way. We're not starting out right. We're not encouraging our young people to start out right. We're not encouraging our sons and daughters to start out right. And we're dealing with the collateral damage of, of literally the home, God's design for the home being abandoned and we're seeing the consequences of it. Um, what else do I have on that? I think, yeah, I think I'm just gonna leave it at that. Nope, I got one more thing, yeah. One more thing I want to share. It has been said that one of the reasons for this, you know, let's give it a try. It's similar to test driving a car. And I'm going to kind of come back to this later um, when I talk about objectification of people. But some have said, well, sort of like test driving a car. You'd never buy a car and sign on the dotted line for a car you've never test drove. So you need to get together and test drive, you know, marriage. It's just a bad analogy. And here's the problem with it. The car doesn't have hurt feelings if you decide you don't like it and you dump it back off at the car dealership. The analogy works great if you picture yourself as the driver. But if you're the car that got dumped back off, there are lasting pain, emotional toll that takes place. It's a bad analogy to be comparing humans to cars and marriage as the test drive of a vehicle. And that starts to show emotionally really how despondent we've become and how little we actually see the importance of the marriage relationship. And psychologically, emotionally, 
It takes a huge toll on us. It is a really bad idea. It is a terrible setup to lead into marriage. Don't do it. All right. Finally, on the viewpoint from the emotional, um, psychological aspect of how this impacts people, you believe that living together before marriage leads to objectification of people, especially women. Can you explain your beliefs on this? Yeah, I can. So this is the final piece of it that I think emotionally and psychologically has to be considered. And that is, <sighs> this objectifies people and especially women. I'm going to explain. I want to start with the concept of consumerism, which is destroying our country. If you don't know what consumerism is, it's a general idea that everything's marketed to me. And so I want to get what makes me happy. I want to do what makes me happy. Everything is about me. What I want, give me this, what's entertaining to me, what makes me happy. And we end up right now with a culture where the, the God of this culture is personal happiness. It's a sinking hole. You'll never find it when you're trying to simply get everything that you think you want. You won't find happiness that way. And what's happened is we've started to see relationships that way. And so it's not really a commitment to you. It's commitment as long as you give me what I want. If it makes me happy, makes me feel good, I like it. But if all of a sudden it's a lot of work, like, man, this relationship's work. I don't want to do it anymore. The, it, you know, it, it costs me more than I get out of it. And so I want out. That mindset of consumerism will destroy any relationship you relationships require selflessness they require forgiveness they require grace they require love which love is patient it is kind um, and so consumerism is crept into the way we even deal with our relationships I want to take it a step further though and deal with what I'm going to call objectification so objectification is basically when I treat a person as an object you know, I'm not attached to this cup. It has no real value to me. I just use it for what I need. When we are willing to go into relationships, move in with people, live with somebody, without them being willing to commit to me for life in marriage, what happens is we begin to see each other as objects. I'm using this person to help pay the bills. And the things that women will be using men for is a little different. I will tell you that men typically use women for sexual pleasure. And that's the deal they get out of it. In fact, you'll find that most men will be fully unwilling, most, not all, but most men will be completely unwilling to let a, part, a, a, a woman move in with them if there is not sexual um, you know, fulfillment one way or the other. And so what happens is we start to see each other as objects. And it's not really a true love relationship. It's an objectification relationship. And psychologically, it's damaging. It ruins um, a really important part of the marriage, uh, the relationship. And it can really impact the relationship going forward. And I, I want to talk about this, and then we're going to move to the spiritual aspect of it. But I want to talk about this in our relationship. So full disclosure, Andrea and I live together for a significant chunk of time before we got saved and um, got saved and got married shortly thereafter. When we did get saved, she moved back home with her parents. We separated at that time. 
and got married about seven months afterwards. And um, it, without being too um, open, I guess, or whatever, with, without saying too much, we lived together outside of the bounds of marriage. Uh, we did not have any boundaries that honored traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. Pretty much did what we want, how we wanted, when we wanted. When we got married, and um, this is adult talk here. If you got kids listening, probably uh, young kids under the age of 13, you might want to tune them out at this moment. But when we got married, we I found that it was actually difficult for me during the very first few months to be sexually... Um, to feel right about sexual activity with my wife. And here's the reason why. I was really convicted over what we had did before. And as awful as it sounds to say, the truth is I did love her, but I didn't give myself to her. I wasn't waiting. And and to a degree, she was an object to me. And I had used her to fulfill a, you know, uh, to satisfy a lust of mine. And now all of a sudden we get married and it was so hard for me to go back into a, um, you know, a full relationship that was, should have been reserved for marriage from day one. But what we had done with it before made it difficult for me to not feel like I was objectifying her again. And I wanted our marriage to be so pure. I wanted it to be right. I didn't want to feel like I was seeing her as an object, using her like I had before. But because that's how our relationship started, it was really difficult. And we've worked through that. I mean, it took, and it was hard. It was hard for her. I mean, I don't know how comfortable she is talking about it, but it was hard for her. Um, She noticed it and was a little confused because but women see things different than men i i can guarantee you she never saw me as an object the same way i did her previously and so it wasn't there was it wasn't as hard for her when we got married but for me it was very difficult and then it was hard for her because she didn't understand like why is he feeling the way he's feeling you know what am i doing wrong and this stuff does take a lasting emotional and psychological impact on us and these are some strong reasons to avoid living together and sex outside of marriage. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I would agree with would agree with that. And it was hard. Um, Sweating now. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was hard just from my perspective. There was that time where um, it was very difficult and it was a lot of confusion on my part because we were finally at a spot biblically where we were doing things the right way. But even though we were at a spot biblically where we, you know, had uh, had spent this time abstaining from each other until we did get married after we got saved. Um, but even after we got saved, we still had repercussions of the choices we made prior. And so... Um, it's just amazing how it all goes back to God's word and how when we follow things biblically, everything works out. But when we get off track, you will have consequences for it. And so I want to just I want to add to that that we've had a like home run of a marriage. We really have 20 years and we've had some hard times and more good times and bad times. Um, the last 10 years has been way better than the first 10 
Um, but what I want our listeners to know is that no matter how bad things are, there's always hope with God. Yes. And it took time. You yeah. know, it's not like God just waves a little magic wand over us and all of a sudden we're always happy and everything works. These things have lasting impact when we don't do it God's way. Yeah. But I don't want our listeners to be discouraged and think that, well, you've screwed it up. You're in a bad situation, so it's hopeless for you. That's not what I'm trying to say. If anything, I, I'm hoping to encourage somebody that might be thinking about getting into you know a living together situation to really stop and rethink that because it's not going to be in your best interest. It's never going to work out exactly like you think it will, and it's just not God's design. But if you are in that situation, if you are in that scenario, you will never go wrong making the decision to pull back and do it God's way. Give God some time to work, and you will be blown away at what God can do in your life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are we ready to move on to the biblical? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's talk about from the biblical point of view. What does the Bible say about this? Our original question came in from that angle. So what's wrong? Does the Bible have a verse that clearly teaches against living together before marriage? If so, let's talk about it. So I'm going to talk about several, and I'm just kind of going to go through these, comment on them quickly, and we'll close this out. First of all, yeah, the Bible says a lot about this. Um, And um, some of this has to deal with sex outside of marriage, but I want to deal with the question of what if we live together but don't have sex? What if we're living in two separate rooms? I'm going to deal with that. Um, but let's just talk about it in general, right? First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 tells us that fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, that word fornication, the modern dictionary defines it as voluntary sexual intercourse between persons not married to each other. Now, this would include adultery. And in the Old Testament, all sexual sin, all of it, any form of sexual sin, was called fornication. And so does the New Testament still carry that connotation? I would argue probably, but there's no question that is the way the Old Testament dealt with it. That is the way the Jewish uh, teachers of the law handled it, that any form of sexual impurity was called fornication. And New Testament Christianity, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 9 tells us that fornicators, those who practice it, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So 100%, yes, the Bible's very clear. Sex outside of marriage Mm -hmm. um, is absolutely a sin and that those who practice it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Next, Genesis 2.24 talks about uh, God creating a... uh, uh, Let me just read it. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Jesus references that passage in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. And I want, you, I want to read what Jesus said. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? And He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I want to talk about some very practical implications here. The Bible teaches that a man leaves his father and mother and joins or is united to his wife. So the Bible teaches that there is not this long period of time in between when you leave the home and when you're married. 
What we're doing in modern day culture is very different. People leave the home for four to six or eight years, go to college, live on their own for a while, get married when they're 35 years old, 40 years old, some of them never. This is not a biblical concept. I would argue it's what sets up people for a bunch of fornication because God didn't create us to be 30, 45 years old um, before we become sexually active. I would argue he didn't really create us to be much more than 20, honestly, just if you look at the way the human body works, maybe even younger. But that said, um, the idea is that the man leaves the home and marries his wife. Not that he leaves the home, moves into his apartment with his fiance or girlfriend, and then maybe they become fiance, and then one day they get married. If everything works out, there was this clear leaving and starting a family. This implies, as um, Jesus is speaking about it here, that there is no acceptable other way. There's not something else that we need to be talking about. There's not a, you know, a third option or a fourth option or a fifth option. This is the design by God. Next, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. So you might say, hey, well, what if we're not you know, having sex? Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, 5, verses 3 through 5. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So there's not even to be a hint. It's not like it's just straight up, among you, don't fornicate. Don't even let there be a hint of sexual immorality. And I have a difficult time believing anybody. I don't care how Christian they claim to be how much they love God. I just have a difficult time believing anybody who chooses to move in together with a boyfriend or girlfriend sincerely and truly believes that they're not going to be pulled into a hint of sexual immorality. We're told not to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says to flee from sexual immorality. Now let's talk about moving in together. Uh, moving in together is at the very least going to tempt us we're living together. We've got no parents over us. We've got nobody else to keep us. It's just you and I. And um, nobody else to keep us accountable. That's the opposite of fleeing sexual immorality. That's like putting yourself in the very middle of temptation and just hoping against hope that somehow both of you are constantly going to remain strong and never going to fail. It is a disaster. And it's such an important deal, this being pure and the, the, the Bible uses the term flee from it, get away from it, run. Don't put yourself there. You know, don't, don't move in with one another in a scenario. That's the opposite of fleeing from temptation, sexual immorality. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Listen to these words. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the things that you would, that you would like. The Bible teaches us that there is this very clear war within the life of the true believer of the flesh and the spirit. So newsflash, even though you're a Christian, that does not mean that you're constantly and always going to desire what is right, want to do what is right, and hunger for what is right. In fact, you have a flesh nature, which the Bible says wars against your spirit, argues with you about what is right. So you need to be aware of this internal struggle. 
In fact, 2 Corinthians 2.11 tells us that we are not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Now, taking two people who battle the flesh nature, moving them into a home to live together and expecting them to never give into that flesh nature is an absolute nonsense. It makes no sense at all. It is setting people up for failure. And so clearly I would say the Bible's teaching us don't do that. You might think, well, I'm strong. You know, we're, we're not going to be like everybody else. Well, the Bible says, um, beware to him who thinks that he stands lest he falls. Beware. Proverbs 28, 26 says, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. So you got it all figured out. You're going to do this thing and you got all these things where somehow you can avert God's rules, avert the clear overwhelming direct directions of scripture and somehow you're going to come out unscathed that's a recipe for disaster and i would imagine that in every area of your life you're going to find yourself compromising making reasons for not taking the high ground not saying no to temptations and it's just a recipe for disaster it's definitely not the type of mindset that you want to be entering into with a person that you think you want to spend the rest of your life with hopefully helping you pursue God together. So in conclusion, here's the conclusion of it all. Basically living together is like this really cheap, flimsy form of marriage that doesn't have commitment to it. It's not God's design emotionally, psychologically. It's a disaster. It's no wonder that God's word really does have so much to say about this because uh, God is all wise. God is all knowing. One of the things I'm so reminded in this is that God's laws are not meant to keep keep us from fun. They're meant to protect us from harm. God knows what he's doing. And when we trust him and do it his way, it always ends up best. It is no wonder that people who don't listen to this end up trying to live together outside of marriage, that they report less happiness, less satisfaction, higher rates of divorce if they do end up getting married. This is why marriage is important. Mm -hmm. Waiting to move in with your spouse until you're married is incredibly important. Real commitment. It does not include an exit strategy. And so you don't want to enter into a relationship that has that extra little, you know, uh, we're going to move in together, but we've got we've got an eject button. Now, marriage, we're going to we're going to look at each other and we're going to commit to each other for life. We're going to do it in front of our family, we're going to do it in front of our friends, we're going to do it in front of God, and I'm going to promise you this before I enter into a home with you and we become one. And so that's it, brothers and sisters. It's a bad idea. I might even call it the live together lie. It is a lie. It's a bad idea. Don't do it. Yeah, that's good. Um, I was just going to add quickly that I just want to encourage our listeners, you know, a lot of times in our society, getting married at a young age anymore is looked upon as just strange. And it was when we, you know, we've been married for 20 years now, but that was strange then too. There wasn't, my friends weren't getting married. And so it was a different, um, a difficult, different thing for us to go through, but we really felt like, you know, we were the one for each other and this is what God had for us. And so we were ready to move forward with that plan. But I just wanted to encourage our listeners that if you're in that spot, you know, and you're ready to make that commitment, don't be afraid to make that commitment because society says you should just live together or you should date, or you should just engage in all these other things, but you don't actually need a commitment. Um, 
But don't be afraid for that. I mean, God worked everything out in our life and um, it has just, it's just been amazing to see what God has did, you know, coming from a lifestyle of us not serving the Lord and making bad choices, choosing to engage in those things um, that you shouldn't until you're married. Uh, a lot of other things too, you know, but just how God was able to use that situation and go ahead and take us and set us aside, let us get married um, and work through work through those things. And he ended up just blessing it all. And so um, just wanted to encourage him. I know it's hard. Yeah. So I want to add to that. I'm not sure where my notes are here, but um, I want to add to that, that I couldn't agree more that I think we're doing more harm than good when we're prolonging marriage. And right now there's probably some parents out there that are freaking out thinking, I hope my daughter or son doesn't hear this because they don't need to be getting married. They're with the wrong person. Hold your horses a second, because I, I, they need to be the right person. Absolutely. And I'm, Andrea and I are not talking about, oh, you know, somebody's burning with lust, so they should get married. And I didn't even go to that passage, but that is actually what the Bible says, that it'd be better to get married than to burn. Mm -hmm. That's how serious fornication is. And we don't handle it that way anymore. We're like, no, we'd rather them fornicate and do whatever and not have to deal with, you know, the getting together with the wrong person, well, then you're not doing it God's way. That said, we aren't supporting the concept of people getting married out of right. lust either. In fact, as I had mentioned earlier, you need to know the things that, you know, that are important. Is this person trustworthy? Are they faithful? Are they honest? Do they keep their promises? Are they selfless? Do they lay down their life to help serve me? You know, both. Mm -hmm. Is this a mutually giving relationship? Do I love this person? You need to take the time to figure those things out. But it doesn't take years. Yeah. It doesn't take 10 years or And if you've already figured out even. the answer is yes, then yes. You move forward with life and God's plan, not Yes, and, and we would strongly encourage if you're in a relationship with somebody that you can't truly say those things about, end the relationship quit holding on to it just for the sake of having a relationship mm -hmm. stop it start looking for the person you want to spend the rest of your life with dating um it's a strange word to use the word courting most people don't even know what that means biblical it's a little bit better idea if we use that term courting which simply means i'm looking for the person i want to spend my life with and so if i'm not serious about getting ready for marriage i have no business dating Dating's not a game that we play so that we can have relationships until later we decide we want to get serious. We have no business being in any form of serious, intimate relationship if we are not open to the idea of marriage with that person. And so we're pursuing it. We're kind of testing it. I'm trying to find out, is this person trustworthy? Is this person honest? Is this person someone I want to spend my life with? And once you know it's time to get serious about marriage. Mm -hmm. You don't push it off five, six years and start doing some of these tactics that we talked about because they actually will hurt your relationship more than others. I wanted to say all that just to clarify, you know, we're not advocating just go get married if you're in love. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're saying. We're not telling a bunch of 18 year olds out there that, you know, you need to go get married as soon as you get out of high school, but we're not opposed to it. If it is the right person, the right people together, the right boy, the right girl, that have had the time to test these things, make sure they love each yep. other, make sure they're right for each other. 
Like, why do you have to finish college before you get married? Why? Yeah. Any Bible for that? Any reason for that? I mean, we're 18, 19, 20, 21, and we love each other, and we're passionately attracted to each other, and you want us to somehow spend the next four years abstaining from each other? Why? What is the purpose behind that? And I think it's just really time that we rethink what marriage in the home looks like. So, yeah. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. Big topic today. Um, Let's move (laughs) on to the fun section. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off with first world problems, shopping when you can't try on clothes. So I have a couple of stories to share, I guess. We went shopping multiple times and it is actually really kind of frustrating to me because I have bought things at three different stores and I've had to return them or I've had to buy two sizes because I wasn't quite sure what pants Malik I needed right now. He's just in between sizes and so it's really frustrating but i took tyron the other day and uh he needed some pants and so of course he's not afraid and he decides in the middle of the aisle there that he's just going to go ahead and pull on the pants right over the shorts that he has on and where are you at we were at kohl's it was was great this is embarrassing (laughs) (laughs) that's like something that i would do that they would get really embarrassed by but it was all his idea he was gonna try kids try on i was totally fine with it because their clothes i've already returned things like multiple times i did and i would do it again i actually was shopping myself the other day and i had on some leggings and i really wanted this skirt that was on sale so i was just gonna like pull it right on up over my leggings because i wouldn't take anything off Oh my goodness. It was on sale and I wasn't going to buy it if I didn't want it. So, uh, I bought anyway. some pants from Kohl's. Did you try them on? No. And no, I didn't put them on over what I was wearing. But I brought them home. And even though they said they were my size, I looked like, uh, you know, some kid in some skinny jeans. Let's just put it that way. I wasn't letting no pictures happen either. Turns out he should have had some shorts on, folks, and he could have pulled them right on up over uh, at the store. And they're going back. I'll tell you that. Fit. They're going back. So and it, see, is, look, it is a little bit annoying, but these like are our, first world problems, no doubt. Yeah, like 10th or 12th return on something that we could have just simply tried on in the store. And, you know, now instead of me, like, sharing my germs that nobody's going to touch for a long time, they're in my car, which... You know, has to sit there. Has lots of germs. Trust. Uh, It's like a. It's like whoa. No, but I actually took them to my house, so I don't know. I just I need the fitting rooms to be open, folks. Yes. Yeah. So hopefully, all you guys are not having the same problem as I am. But if you're looking for something you don't have, you could just give me a shout because I might have an extra in the back of the car. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Next, we have exciting news on my Grinch costume. my yeah. friend Jessman is actually sewing it, and I made the comment that I wanted one just like the picture that I had saw of the girl. It's better. And it is so good. Joplin's going to stick a picture up for you guys do you here want, at the Do you want show. a picture of the one that you wanted, that you kind of liked, that she's Yeah, using? you can put both of them Because hers is better. It's it is better. better, yeah. And so half of it's made, and she's working on the belly of it, but I am so, so, so pumped. And I actually, um, I have my first gig, so... Gig, sweet! She got her first gig. I got my first gig, so I'm pretty pumped. I can't. What wait. is it? I don't even know. Well, um, a bunch of ladies are doing this like progressive Christmas thing with the Polar Express, and um, one of them hit me up last night, and they were like, "Hey, we want to book you for our event. You got to be a part of this." So there we go. I'm now curious. What is a progressive Christmas? Um, I don't know 100% because I've never actually been to one, but I've 
heard one explained, where you like start off at one location and then you move to another, to another. And so like this location might have salads and then the next might have like the next entree and the next entree and then you end with like dessert or hot okay. cocoa or something. So you move from home to home and I don't know what you do in the homes other than eat, maybe socialize, eat. Maybe that person has something fun for you to do. And you're going to be going around as the happy Grinch, not the Grinch that That's stole right. Christmas, but the Grinch whose heart grew how many sizes bigger? It was two sizes too small. Yeah, and yeah. but it grew bigger, right? Did, Eventually, yeah, yeah. and he loved Christmas. He, he You're did. the Grinch who, I'm the who came Grinch. to love Christmas. That's right. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I so hope that I'm you pretty... have some fun spreading Christmas cheer in your Grinch costume. Thanks to all our listeners who voted and said, yeah. hey, she needs one. Yeah, thank you. And um, Joplin told me I could put my Christmas decorations up. It was kind of a trick. But he did tell me that um, I could put my Christmas decorations up. So we'll be having some pictures of that soon, too. It was, yeah, it was a little bit of a trick. Mm -hmm. um, technically, I was just getting a tiny bit annoyed at how unorganized our storage room was. Yep. And the Christmas decorations, because they've been packed the longest, were behind most everything. And so I said, hey, why don't we set up the Christmas stuff? And then it was like, oh, we're going to have to reorganize all this stuff to get to it. Yeah. Ah, snap. And so for me, it was worth the um, ridiculousness of having up Christmas stuff for three months to get my storage shed uh, or storage downstairs organized. And so uh, it's kind of a win-win for everybody in the win -win, Anderson family. Win-win, that's right. I loved it. I just took it hook, line, and sinker. Didn't mind. Let's clean it, get the Christmas out. Yeah. So even though we're talking about Christmas, there are still two holidays that are still yet to happen before Christmas comes. Yes, sir. We've got um, Halloween coming up and then Thanksgiving. That's right. And uh, while we are not a huge uh, Halloween, you know, we don't get all crazy about Halloween here at the Emerson House. Uh, we do like fall. We like pumpkins. We like the decorations. And so uh, let's finish today with one last um, yeah, reminder to people yeah. to join in the uh, pumpkin carving contest that's coming up. Tell them a little bit about that's it. Right. Remind them how they can enter. Okay, very good. So um, at the end, we'll add the flyer and the link again for Facebook. But if you want to carve pumpkins and submit them to our online contest, we have age categories that you can enter in for each kid. And um, there's prizes that are going to be awarded. And we just ask that they're all family-friendly pumpkins. But we are excited about that because we love fall and we like carving pumpkins. We did pumpkins last week. I did a um, cactus scene. It was awesome. And so Amazing. it was kind of fun. Yeah. I will be entering one. You're going to see a pumpkin from me okay. in this contest. I, you know, I opted out of the butter sculpting contest that happened mm. a few months back, but I am in yes. pumpkin carving. So yeah. in fact, if you guys want to give me some ideas, okay, because I don't know, I've been thinking yeah, about what am I going to do. Yeah, pop on the bottom of the screen. You can know. tell him what he wants, what, what would be good. Comment on He's what you He's actually very detailed too, so don't be afraid. Oh yeah, I get out all my tools and I have some fun doing it. I love carving pumpkins, so shoot me some ideas. Yeah. And let's see if uh, we can't win this one this year. Well, that's right. All right. <laughs> that's it, guys. Right. We love have you. We hope weekend. you have a great weekend.